0: What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest, a fellow paisan, John Gambadoro, the longtime Afternoon Drive sports radio talk show host on Arizona Sports 98.7 FM in Phoenix. And he's an authority on Suns reporting for many years, including the team's most recent acquisition of three-time All-Star Bradley Beal. So we're going to break down a big offseason ahead for the Suns, which already kind of kicked off with the Beal acquisition, we'll talk about how the Suns acquired Beal, what's next for Chris Paul, DeAndre Eaton's future, and much more. John, I appreciate you taking some time out for me. How you doing, Paisan?
1: Good, my friend. Buongiorno, mi amico. Come sta?
0: Sta bene grazie. My man, I mean, this Bradley Beal trade got the offseason off to a, a blistering start, Um you know, you kind of touched, you were on top of it a little bit ahead that uh, Phoenix seemed like they had a little bit more of a desire than Miami to get this done. Um, but ultimately, obviously, Bradley Beal with the no trade clause was going to determine where he could go. Um, from talking to people with Brad, it seemed like either destination w- would have been fine for him. But ultimately, Phoenix gets it done. And so I, I ask you, John. How did this trade come together so quickly for Phoenix um, and Washington? And how close, if at all, was Miami to acquiring Bradley Beal?
1: Mike, I'm going to stick with this, man. I do not believe that Miami was that interested in Bradley Beal. And let's be honest. Look at what Miami has asset-wise, right? They have their first-round pick this year. they got future first-round picks. They've got more talent to trade. If Miami was really involved in this and Beal was interested in going there, there's no way that Miami could not have put a better offer on the table than Phoenix. There's just no way. So I'm going to stick with what I've been told, is that Miami was not that interested in Bradley Beal. Beal was interested in Phoenix. I mean, he wanted to come to the Suns, wanted to play with Durant and Booker. And that, I mean, obviously that helped things, right? He's got a no trade clause. I'm so shocked at what Washington did, you know, but in the end, I think that Phoenix was really the only option Washington had as far as making a trade here.
0: You know, you talked about kind of being surprised. I think you had tweeted about it a little bit um, the other day, but we saw similarly like with the Brooklyn Nets, they held on to Kevin Durant for a little bit into the season, and then they were able to get a much better offer um, than in the months prior. Uh, Was there any reason why you think from your talks with whether it's the Suns or anybody else that there was this expedition of moving Beals so quickly with, with the draft coming up?
1: I think the problem comes with if you wait past July 1st, the trade rules kind of change drastically. So it kind of reduces what could be included in a trade, much different landscape from, you know, when when Kevin Durant was traded last year. So I think that was probably the rush to get it done. Look, Washington wanted off of that salary and they wanted off it bad. Mike, you know this man, Beal misses a lot a lot of games. He's a terrific, dynamic scorer, and he's a three-time All-Star, but he misses a lot of basketball games. So, I mean, I think Washington's number one priority in this was to clear that salary. The fact that they weren't able to get quality return back as far as draft compensation and players is mind-boggling. The Suns were going to waive Chris Paul. They weren't going to keep Chris Paul at $30 million. It was either wave and stretch and create $27 million in salary, you know, for your cap, or waive and re them to the vet's minimum, but they were going to waive Chris Paul. Landry Shamit. they didn't want Landry Shamit. It was one of the few bad deals that James Jones has made, was adding Landry Shamit for three years and 10 million plus a year. So the Suns were thrilled to get off of those contracts, and in the meantime, they got a you know, a soon to be 30 year old, three time all star guard when he's healthy could really add to the Phoenix Suns roster. Now they're, they're in a lot of trouble because there's not much that they can do now. This is they're married to this basketball team for a while.
0: Well, you said it there. They're certainly married to it for better or worse. And what's interesting is, you know, look, you've got guys that can score the ball. The, the, the Phoenix Suns are going to light it up like Times Square on New Year's Eve with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal. Um, I don't know if there's enough Basketballs to go around necessarily, but my understanding is that Devin Booker is going to be more or less the primary ball handler a a lot of times. Anyway, Bradley Beal can also handle the ball as well too, and create in the pick and roll. But it seems like this is more of an avenue to get the ball in Devin Booker's hands and really maximize his usage rate. Um, Would you agree from that assessment?
1: Yeah, I think both of those guys can handle the ball. Now they'll still have campaign very likely. Um, but you know, Beal is Beal's not. But Beal can handle. He's not a primary ball handler, Mike. But he can handle the basketball. He can be a point guard at times. He's not. You know, he's not a traditional point guard like Chris Paul. Neither is Devin Booker. But both of those guys together can actually handle the basketball. You could run offense through Kevin Durant as well. You know, you could run that offense through him. So look, Chris was slowing down. He wasn't the same player. They played with a lot less tempo and pace when Chris was out there. If you remember the last game against the Denver Nuggets campaign was their best player you know they're pushing the ball moving it forward so with Chris on the court it was a very slow tempo very slow pace now he's still that basketball IQ is second to none and they're going to miss that they're going to miss his ability to make those plays especially late in games but I don't think that there's any concern that between Booker and Beal they've got two guys that could handle the basketball and run the point
0: now John you touch on Chris Paul I mean I'm told that Chris Paul recently had breakfast with Suns coach Frank Vogel, who during that convo expressed a desire to keep him. And then he he spoke with Suns executive James Jones the night before he was traded. Uh, Paul preferred not to be traded to a team that far away from his family in Los Angeles. And it's one of the reasons Paul has been linked to both the Clippers and Lakers and a potential expansion of the trade. Uh. Uh, along with wanting an opportunity to play for a contender. Um, Ultimately, when the dust settles, depending on whether they expand the trade or not, uh, where do you see Chris Paul ultimately landing and, and continuing his pursuit of a championship?
1: You know, Mike, I had had a player tell me yesterday, watch out for the Knicks. Now, I don't – you know, it's hard to believe that because, right, when when he came to Phoenix, his wife and his children stayed in Los Angeles. Phoenix was close to L.A. On an off day, he could fly home very quickly. So being close to his family, that's what mattered this last time. Now, I still think the Lakers and Clippers probably have the best shot and probably more so the Lakers. Now, somebody can still trade for him with that salary, I mean, I find it hard to believe, but it's possible. But if, if he gets waived outright, I wouldn't rule out the Knicks only because I had a player tell me, Hey, I'm hearing that, that, you know, the Knicks are a real good option for Chris. So keep that in mind. But I think in the end, everybody expects him to end up in Los Angeles.
0: As a, as a Brooklyn and a a New Yorker, I would be a little surprised ultimately if Paul came here. I mean, look, there were certainly more flirtations with Chris Paul um, over the years dating back to like, gosh, even when like Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony were here. But I think like Jalen Brunson, I mean, it's pretty much his team. I think ultimately he would end up closer to L.A. And and when you look at the Clippers, um, they certainly have a need to they, they got to make a decision. Are you either going to bring back Russell Westbrook or are you going to try to go for Chris Paul? I, I saw something, I think it was from the athletics uh, law Murray about them, maybe having the both of them. Um, I don't know if I see a world where that happens. That would surprise me personally, but I, I certainly think, um, you know, with the Lakers, how D'Angelo Russell ended the regular season well, but in the playoffs struggled uh, towards the end, had to come off the bench. So I, that I could see both those teams there ultimately. Um, and the Clippers have like multiple salaries they could try to aggregate. I think with the Lakers, it'd be a little uh tougher. But if you know, maybe you could do something with uh depending on Washington's appetite for like Malik Beasley or Mobamba in the end of their contracts if they opt in and a whole bunch of stuff. But I think ultimately he ends up closer to LA. But let's keep it in uh. Within Phoenix, because the dominoes from this uh, trade, one of is that DeAndre Ayton is still a member of the Phoenix Suns at this point, point. and it, like John, it seemingly appears to be that they have three options with DeAndre Eaton and in Phoenix, they can trade him to a team with salary cap space and take nothing back, which would generate a trade exception worth his yes. salary, and it would open up the mid-level exception and the biannual exception for them to use in free agency. However. Uh, using the mid-level would hard cap the Suns. Secondly, they can trade Ayton for multiple players to improve the team's depth, or they hold on to him and see if new coach Frank Vogel helps him become the all-star that Vogel talked about uh, in his press conference, and if the game opens up offensively for Ayton as the fourth option around uh, these three players who can score 30 a night. So with that said, when you look into your crystal ball for DeAndre Ayton's future. Um, is it with the Suns or do you think that this offseason he's moving on to another team for a fresh start?
1: Yeah, I think the preference, Mike, for Phoenix is to trade DeAndre Ayton to get the depth that they have. They, you know, they're set right now one, two, and three with Booker, Durant, and Beale. Their problems, and this is why they're not better than the Denver Nuggets. They're four, they're five, they're six, they're seven, they're eight, they're nine. They don't have the depth. If you could trade DeAndre Ayton and take that $30 million salary, and turn it into two good players or even three good players that's the preference now you got to find a team willing to take DeAndre Ayton. he's got a hundred million dollars left on his contract over the next three years and he has not been a dominant center he's not Embiid he's not Jokic he's a good player he's a good player and somebody that trades for him might get a guy to get you 22 24 points a night and 12 rebounds but if he's your best second best player you're probably not going to win here in Phoenix it was much like he was the fourth best player on this roster and that worked fine for Phoenix. They won a lot of basketball games, but like when Joe Johnson left to go to Atlanta, if you want to go be the man somewhere, you may go, but you're not going to win. If Deandre goes to a place and he's the number one or number two player on the team, I don't think they're going to win the op. We've talked a lot about option one, which you brought up. Could the Suns trade him into to San Antonio, uh, into space. I know they're going to draft Wembyama, but there's a lot of talk that they may not want him to play center right away. That if they got and maybe you know he could play off the ball, not 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 play they set up, but play power forward for a little bit, save some wear and tear on him. So I think that that's an option, right? You trade da, you take nothing back, you get nothing back, but you clear that salary space, and then you've got that exception available.
0: You bring up. I just want to touch on that Spurs point you bring up. I've all I've heard that, that that was a possibility. Because previously, um, when they had Potal before they traded him, that was uh, a consideration as well that they were mulling over before they ultimately moved him to Toronto. So I could certainly see that aspect that you brought up. Um And for the Suns, it's interesting because it would give them, potentially, if if they feel that there's a guy that they can get with that mid-level or the biannual that makes sense. I've just always wondered, does that make more sense than just straight up keeping eight and as a fourth guy? Because we saw when he's motivated and I'm, I'll be it, it, was a contract year, but in the playoffs he performed really well. Um, so it, it's interesting to hear that that's kind of where their preferences at this point, you know, according to you about them looking to trade and get, you know, maybe uh, some depth if they can. Um, Time will tell. But, you know, John, the other thing I look at big picture wise, Matt Ishbia comes in and clearly there have been a lot of dominoes that have fallen since then. When Matt Ishbia took over his son's owner, there were rumblings across the league that he wanted to make a splash, which he did by entering into the trade negotiations for Kevin Durant and acquiring Bradley Beal on top of that can be considered a tidal wave, in my opinion. If he wanted to make a splash, this was a tidal wave. Um, now, what's interesting is throughout Phoenix's roster transformation, there's a belief from some within the league that NBA Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas has had a strong voice in the ear of Ishbia. I was curious from your point, John. Um what has is there any truth to that about Isaiah Thomas kind of having a a bit of a voice in a sense within Ishbia's ear, to your knowledge? And um just what is uh, what else do you foresee from Ishbia coming up as he uh, clearly takes the reins here as, as son's owner?
1: Mike, I'll tell you, I've been here for I, I moved from New York here, 97, 27 years. I don't know. I've seen uh, I've seen an owner committed to winning more than this guy in his short amount of time. I mean, there's no doubt. There's no debating this. He wants to win. He doesn't care about aprons. Doesn't care about luxury tax. He Doesn't care about that. This guy wants to win, and he wants to win badly. And he's willing to spend the money to do it. And I've been here for a long time, and I don't know that I've ever seen an owner in this town as committed to winning as he are. As far as Isaiah Thomas, it's true. Isaiah Thomas is a confidant for Matt Ishbia. He's not going to have a uh, his role with the team is not going to be on paper. It, it's not going to be where he's the assistant GM, or but he is an advisor. He's somebody that Matt Ishbia trusts, that Matt Ishbia talks to, and bounces ideas off of. The same for Tom Izzo. Um, but to say that, that Isaiah Thomas has absolutely no role with the organization, that's, that's not true. I mean, he's just somebody that Matt can bounce ideas off of and go to and say, hey, look, they've known each other for a while. It's a friendship. They trust each other. And I think that Isaiah's role is simply if Matt has an idea and he wants to bounce it off for three or four different people, Isaiah is one of those guys that he's going to bounce it off of. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a, he doesn't have a primary role with the organization as far as a title, but he is somebody that Matt will trust and go to when stuff like this comes up.
0: Well, what's interesting also, I think that we can't lose sight of is that looking ahead, they've got all this talent, but the guy who's going to be pulling the strings is Frank Vogel. And Frank Vogel is considered a defensive coach who's currently tasked with maximizing Aiton as a defensive anchor if he stays and repairing that relationship that soured under Monty Williams. But overall, the Suns don't have elite defenders in their starting unit. So I feel like Vogel is going to have to scheme coverages to combat that. They keep Kevin Young, who's a wonderful offensive mind. I think that's a an excellent compliment to Frank. Made him, uh, I believe, the highest paid assistant or a lead assistant coach um, in the yes. NBA, um, which good for him. Um, I, I'm curious when you, when you look at Frank, um, how did they end up all t- like behind the scenes with, you know, with all the tea that you have, how did they really end up with Frank Vogel is the guy when, when they made this decision and were you surprised a little bit at all?
1: No, I was leaning Frank Vogel all the way through. I mean, if you go back to my Twitter timeline, I was basically hinting that Vogel was going to be the guy. Look, they decided to move on from Mani. The realization was they weren't going to win a championship with him as their coach. That's what they believed. The rotations, the not having the in-game adjustments. They had a long list of coaches that they wanted to speak to. Some young coaches, some veteran coaches. They were never interested in Budenholzer. And they also never offered the job to Nick Nurse. There was nothing close to that. That was a completely false report. They never offered the job to Nurse. He wasn't in their top three when, it, when push came to shove. Um, but they did have Kevin Young in the list. The, the final three were Doc Rivers and Kevin Young and Frank Vogel. But when we spoke with Matt Ishbiar on my show, we spoke with him right after the hire. He said that there was an interview on a Friday here in Phoenix. And from that point forward, after the interview was over, he was the front runner for the job he was clear in his mind that Frank Vogel needed to be the head coach of this team. There was a lot to like about Frank. And one of it was his defense. I mean, you go talk to people around the league. And I know I spoke with Jason Kidd, who coached with him, and Jared Dudley who played for him and many others. He is a terrific, terrific defensive coach and he's going to demand that guys play offense and defense that you've got to play defense to play for him. So I think in the end, they really felt that he was the best option for them, but, Budenholzer was never going to get interviewed. They weren't interested. And Nurse was not in their top three. (laughs) So they they did interview him. Uh, Doc Rivers, they they took a look at Doc, but I don't think that Doc was going to get the job. And Kevin Young, while they liked him, they felt it was really, because Kevin interviewed for the Utah job. Kevin's going to be a head coach in this league. There's no doubt about it. He's a brilliant young mind. Um, But they were able to get Frank Vogel and then keep Young and then go get Fisdale to make what should be one of the what a, a really good coaching staff for the Suns players.
0: I got to tell you that I think you hit the nail on the head. I was a little I was a little surprised that Doc got as much consideration in the top 3 only because of the point you made about Monty Williams um and coming off of Phillies um, running run in the playoffs, but Kevin Young I do believe is going to be a head coach. He's certainly on the cusp of that. Um, and they've got more work to do. There's other guys out there. Um, you know, the Frank is is bringing in some former Lakers staffers. You know, Greg St. Jean is another guy that could be added potentially to the to the fold. And uh, I think underrated. I don't know if people know this, but Frank Vogel is essentially the twin lookalike of Joe Gatto on Practical Jokers. <laughs> if you don't believe me, Google it. Um, John, let's let's round it off with. Uh, a couple of their own free agents that you got coming up. And I think, first of all, one of the most important ones is Jock Londale. Um, I'm told there's mutual interest from the Suns and Jock Londale in a return to Phoenix. Uh, yep, londale cer- Londale certainly improved his free agency stock during the playoffs. And uh, he is expected to have several suitors entering free agency. But um, to me, it seems like the Beal trade almost gives them even more incentive to keep him. Because if you're going to have a guy that's going to get a mid-tier salary on this roster. It's it's him and, and Torrey Craig, potentially. And I'll say this on Tori. He's been linked to the Pistons. Uh, talked about that on the a previous Pistons edition of the Hoopside podcast with my guy, James Edwards. Do you see both those guys back in Phoenix next year? And if so, do you have a ballpark, what they could cost?
1: Definitely. They want to return Landale. And I think Josh Okogie, too, is what I've been told, Mike. I think they really like Landale as either, you know, either backup center or a third center, depending on what else is out there. Tory Craig, they need Tory Craig. Let's be honest. They need wing players. They don't have wing players. I mean, they traded Mikhail Bridges. They traded Cam Johnson. They're not going to keep TJ Warren. I like they need wing players. So Tory makes a lot of sense because he does fit that three and D mold. You know, we had talked earlier, you know, before this deal, like, could they bring Jay Crowder back? Yeah, Jay's a good defensive player. There he's a wing. They need wings. They're not going to be able to get Jay now because they're only going to have veteran minimum contracts to get. But with the early bird rights to Tory and Landale, I expect that they'll try to keep both of those guys. I am worried like you are that Monty's going to want Torrey, and then maybe he goes to the Pistons for more money. But Josh Akogi is another guy I think that they want to keep. So out of everybody on their roster, they like their guys. They like them. The problem is that those guys can't be your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth best guys. They need to be more like your ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth best guys. So they've got to improve the depth. I don't know how they're going to do it outside of the veterans minimums or DeAndre Aiden trade. But yeah, Landale, I think they want back. Josh Okogi they want back. I would expect they want Tory back, but I expect there's going to be a lot of competition for him.
0: I agree with that assessment. I would say just looking at the other guys they got. T.J. Warren had a surprisingly lesser role than he did with the Nets. I think that certainly limited his effectiveness. Um, Damian Lee shot a career best 44.5% from three this past season. Um, I could see other teams going into the mix for him. Uh, Terrence Ross and Bismack Biyombo. I mean, uh, what would I say on those guys? I mean, I don't think it's like a deal breaker to bring them them back, certainly. Yeah. Um, uh. You know, dime a dozen,
1: I, Mike. Diamond dozen. Yeah, you can ve- find guys like that. You get veteran
0: find- minimums. I mean, just Terrence. You yeah, know, the
1: the pro The problem money had in the playoffs was he had he had a guy like Terrence Ross and T.J. Warren who were very offensive minded, but weren't very good defensively. And then he had other guys like say a Josh Akogi that was just a defensive minded and not offensive minded. That was one of the problems the Suns had in the playoffs was Monty really couldn't figure out who to play. I mean, he had no, do I play Landry Shamit? Do I play Torrey? Craig? I mean, he had started Josh Akogi with Kevin Durant, all eight games that they had played in that, that Durant had played in the regular season. He gets to the playoffs and he benches Akogi and he plays Corey Craig. He didn't want to play team. Monty didn't want to play TJ Warren because you know, he wanted to roll with his guys. I had a player on a team. Tell me that that Monty told TJ, Hey, I'm going to roll with my guys in the playoffs. So that's what where you didn't see. Ross wasn't playing a whole lot. TJ Warren wasn't playing a whole lot, but the guys that Monty knew those guys were playing. And, and look, I, I think Monty's going to do a great job in Detroit. I do think it was time for him to leave in Phoenix. The Jay Crowder situation was all on Monty. Monty had, you know, I told people he's, you know, he's too difficult to handle. He's too difficult to coach. I don't want Jay. Monty didn't want Jay Crowder. Wasn't the Suns organization. It was Monty. He didn't want Jay around. As far as DeAndre Aiden, Monty didn't want DeAndre either. He wanted them to trade him to Indiana for Miles Turner. He didn't like coaching DeAndre Aiden. In fact, when DeAndre signed his maximum contract, when, when the Suns matched the offer, Monty wasn't even there. Monty didn't show up when the kid signed it at the arena. Monty didn't even call the kid to say congratulations. So Monty is a a good coach. And they say, oh, Monty's a player's coach. Yeah, he's a player's coach for the players he likes. But he (laughs) wasn't in on Jay and he wasn't in on DeAndre.
0: Uh, if Jay Crowder, if, I know you touched on it briefly, but if Jay Crowder somehow ended back up on the suns, that would be quite an episode of as the world turns. Sure. But certainly the DeAndre and stuff was well-documented, but John, I, I appreciate you joining me, Paisan. Certainly a jam-packed, uh, suns edition of the Hoops High podcast, brother. Um, is there anything you want to plug coming up that you have coming up on, on air or, um, looking ahead towards the summer?
1: Well, I know we're going to do a special edition. Uh, We're supposed to be off today for the holiday, but we are going to do a a special edition of the Sun's on our show from uh, from two o'clock on, and then we'll have complete coverage, you know, all week, two to six. Before I take off to go to Italy next week, Mike. So next Wednesday, I'm on a plane going back to the motherland. But until then, you know, we'll hit on on everything with Suns on our show. I'm on Twitter for a lot of people that that do follow. It's Gambo nine eight seven. So I do put a lot of the information that I get on there. We try to be way ahead of the curve with everything coming out of Phoenix. But no, I think for these next. You know, seven days or so, it's just going to be focused on, you know, what do the Suns do? They did keep, uh, they do have a pick that they can, a uh, second round pick, I think this year. Uh, and then we'll just see if they buy picks. Well, the Suns going to buy a couple of second round picks. You know, that's another way they could, with cash, maybe buy a couple of second rounders. And then all eyes will be on DeAndre Ayton. Did they trade him? Did they trade him into space? Do they trade him for players? Does nobody want him and they end up keeping him? So that's what we're going to be focused on this next week or so.
0: Well said, brother. Certainly invite everybody to check that out. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as John Gambadoro, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto, and make sure that you're following John too. He's at Gambo987. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours.